Hey friends, Kylie here, your host of Dream On with Kylie O'Miller, back for another episode with someone that I've been grateful to meet through the lacrosse world, an athlete turned doctor with the greatest mindset, and someone who works tirelessly to bridge the gap between mental health and people of all ages. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. These episodes are recorded from a live Zoom webinar that I hold through the KO17 Lacrosse app and are constructed into this Dream On podcast that you have found here. I hope you are gaining some insight from these episodes from some of the people that I have met through my lacrosse journey that have imposed so much of their wisdom on me. If you're loving our episodes so far, show us some love in the reviews and rate us five stars. Also, be sure to S-U-B-S-C-R-I-B-E. It would mean the world to us. All right, we've got another special guest this week and I'm pumped to get right into it. Dr. T, or Dr. Armand Tagazada, is not only an award-winning doctor of psychiatry working with patients in his own practice most days of the week, he was also a Division I wrestler, has created his own program to bridge the gap for many high-level performers who are looking to improve their mental game, and is also a new father to his nine-month-old son, Zane. He started the Mindset Training Institute and continues to inspire those that follow him through his personal fitness challenges. Dr. T is someone I was lucky to connect with at LaxCon this year. We first recorded his podcast episode called The Mindset Experience. Be sure to check it out after you listen to this one. We immediately connected on many of our different mindset theories, and he helped me to shape my own ways about attacking my goals and my everyday life into something that I'm proud of. His understanding of his own mindset and his willingness to be the most relatable one in the room while simultaneously striving to be the best in the room, is truly what separates him from the rest. This is one of our episodes that you will hopefully be able to take lots of notes as you listen. I know I did, and learned a ton as I did too. Excited for you all to listen in as Dr. T and I run through the success behind his mindset. Let's get into it. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dream On with Kylie O'Miller. I'm your host, Kylie O'Miller, and as just like every other episode, I'm super excited about our guest, someone that I have yet to meet in person. Again, a lot of my guests here on Dream On are exactly the same like that, but, um, you know, Dr. T is somebody that I met virtually. We went on his podcast first, and that's pretty much how I got to know him. And, um, you know, he was one of those people that I knew I needed to have on my podcast because the, you know, the kind of gist behind Dream On is to make sure that we get some wisdoms and that somebody listening out there takes one piece of wisdom from our guests and brings it into their own life. So I think we're going to get a bunch of them here on this episode. And um, before I give you your full intro, Dr. T, thank you so much for being here and for sharing your wisdom with our KO17 Lacrosse family. I'm so excited to be here. I'm, I'm definitely, I'm probably more excited to be on yours than you were to be on mine. So. Oh, no way. Um, we could definitely go back and forth about that for sure. But um, for those of you listening, Dr. T, um, Dr. T is short for Armand Tagazada. Um, he went to a little bit about his background. He grew up in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, he went to the Gilman School and he ended up being a D1 wrestler at JMU at James Madison University. He then went on to receive his MD from the University of Maryland School of Medicine in 2004. Um, Now he owns and maintains an independent practice in Baltimore, is a faculty instructor at Johns Hopkins Hospital in the Division of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry. So he does a lot. 
and I'm not even done yet. I'm not even halfway through his intro. <laughs> he also serves on the boards of many mental health support and initiatives, including the Hidden Opponent, which is one of the ways that we were connected, and USA Lacrosse Athlete Mindset Seminar Series, to name a few of his initiatives. He also receives many accolades on a yearly basis for all of his work and um, from multiple magazines and foundations um, through his practice and as a physician. And personally, he is a new father and also continues to train and compete as an athlete, just like he once was at JMU with weightlifting, running, cycling, and CrossFit. Um, so I'm really excited to dive into literally everything I just, I just mentioned there. Um, you have an incredible resume, um, and I know that you have an incredible kind of mind and all of your wisdoms, and you kind of broke down my whole life story in our episode and got me to kind of look inward in a way that I had never done as a guest on, an, on a podcast before. So um, again, thank you for being here, and again, I'm super excited to kind of dive in. I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. All right, so what we like to do here um, with Dream On, we like to go off to a good start. So instead of just diving into, hey, where'd you grow up and how did we do all of this? How did we get here? Um, I like to check in with where our guests are right now, today, what our goals are. So a little bit of background, it is 8.30 p.m. on a Thursday night in January of 2022. Um, what is something that you are thankful for today, Dr. T? I'm very thankful to be here, to be honest with you. I told you I'm really pumped. And when we met and connected and talked about being on each other's podcast, it's something I look forward to. So I appreciate it. Awesome. I'm thankful to be here today too. <laughs> so something that you are pumped to say that you've accomplished today. So we've had a lot of time and sometimes we record these podcasts in the morning, um, but we've had a lot of time today, something you were pumped to accomplish today. Yeah. So, I mean, you said, you know, I'm a new father. I have a little nine month old little boy and you know, being busy and, and, you know, having a job and having a practice and, and everything and, and taking care of other people. It's always important to be able to make time to take care of my own family. And one of the things I always, always want to try to do is spend time with them every night, but I really want to make them smile. I want to make them laugh. Like that's my biggest thing. So tonight I was able to play with him. I was able to tickle him. I was able to get him to laugh and he's got two little front teeth that are coming in and I was able to see them. So to me, anytime I do something like that, everything else is worth it. And that's why I do everything else. Oh, that's so sweet. The two little front teeth. That's adorable. His name is Zane, right? That's his name. S and tucks in his shirt. We we'll talk about that <laughs> later on. I love it. Um, last but not least, and off to a good start, something that you are pumped to go out and chase. Could be tomorrow, you know, the rest of this week within your life. What would that be something be for you? Yeah, so I'm, I'm pumped and you and I talked about this a little bit that I have the opportunity to work with a lot of great teams and athletes and So I'm really excited and pumped to, to help them build on what they've done and, and their history. But, you know, just to really every day think about what I can do to help them become better. And, you know, already I've, I've been reaching out to, to the coaches and the players have been reaching out to me. So every day I go to work, whatever I'm doing, I'm thinking, how can I make those kids better and that program better? So I'm pumped to keep going with that. That's awesome. I think we definitely need more people like you and not only our sport. I know this podcast is heavily lacrosse listeners, but um, honestly, across all sports. And I think that kind of takes us right into our our next point here and, and how the lacrosse community is so small. And I'm sure 
you're recognizing that as you start to kind of connect with more teams, like you said, more coaches, more athletes. And, um, you know, our listeners are really always curious as to how I connect with certain people like you. Um, so I would love to kind of chat about, you know, we, we connected through LaxCon this past summer. I mean, this past, uh, this past week and, um, you know, your connections through the lacrosse worlds was obviously how we connected. And, um, you know, I think it's such a small knit community and we always talk about this on this podcast and it's very unique in comparison to, especially now that I'm in the professional world of it all comparison to something like football or something like baseball or a sport that's been major for a lot of years for a long time in history. Lacrosse is a very niche kind of sport. Um, and everybody knows everybody, whether it's on social media or it's in real life, or they've played with each other as a specific part. And, um, you know, I would just love to kind of ask you before we dive into, you know, some of the athletes and everything that you work with, what have you, what are your thoughts about the lacrosse community so far? And just kind of the people that are, you know, kind of surrounded in it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's great. So, you know, I grew up in Baltimore, you mentioned that. And so when you grow up in Baltimore, whether you play lacrosse, or you don't have lacrosse, everybody has a lacrosse stick, right? So sixth grade, I had my laser high wall. I went to recess. I'm playing catch. I'm playing wall ball. But I had grown up playing baseball, right? And where I went to school was a hotbed of lacrosse. When I graduated, it was the number one team in the country. A lot of those guys went on and won national championships. And so because it was such a big thing and everybody was into lacrosse, I purposely was like, I'm not getting into lacrosse. Like everybody's into lacrosse. So I'm going to keep playing baseball. But I also, you know, played other sports. And so I didn't play it, but I loved it. And I loved how fast it was. And I loved just the pace of it and the creativity of it and everything that people say who play it about what they love. I loved watching it. And I remember thinking, man, I would have made such a, like a great little attack. Like I'm, I'm short, I'm shifty, I'm fast. Like, and so, you know, I had a lot of lacrosse friends when I got to college. Um, you know, I wrestled in college, but I was friends with the lacrosse players where I went to school at JMU. We didn't have a men's team, but we had a women's team. It was very competitive. And our team was very close with that team. And so again, just being surrounded by competitive, but also just fun. You know, there was this culture and this respect and this grind that was different than wrestling, but it was also similar in the sense that like, when you have that ball in your hand, like it's up to you to make it happen. Right. And you don't know how many opportunities you're going to have that ball in your hand. And so you don't have multiple plays in multiple situations. Like, and so to me, there was something about it. And then, you know, as I've gotten into this field in this sport and growing up in Maryland and practicing in Maryland, lacrosse is big. Right. And it's a sport where a lot of times people have identified that they get to a certain point and physically they're where they want to be, but then mentally there kind of is that gap. And so I had this opportunity to really, I think, help the lacrosse community. The lacrosse community had embraced me and reached out to me. And there were certain individuals that really kind of brought me in. And so I think it was sort of this combination of being from Maryland, understanding the lacrosse culture to some extent, um, you know, being an athlete and and being a division one athlete that really drew me in and, and, you know, and then learning more and more about the game. And so I joke because I never played lacrosse but I feel like I'm so in the community. I know the players and I know, you know, what's happening. And, and, you know, and I know even some of like the little side drama about like all the little things that happen, right. It's like, it's just so funny that I'm a part of it, but you know, I didn't necessarily come into it the way that most players came into it. I think that's honestly kind of refreshing for those of us who are in the lacrosse world. Um, like I said, it's a very small community. So um, to have someone that, 
one appreciates like our sport um, is really exciting because I think that's something that a lot of us it's a goal that a lot of us um, you know want for honestly just the general viewership of our game um, so I appreciate that comment um, and I also appreciate of course all the work that you do you know within our community and I think we're definitely going to dive into a lot of like the the details about that but you also mentioned that you don't only work with lacrosse athletes right? You work with athletes of all kind. You work with military personnel. You work with business people, coaches, kids, people of all ages. Um, you know, what kind of, I guess, similarities, differences do you see across the board when you work, you know, like you mentioned before on this podcast, every day looks a little bit different for you, but you know, you want to help make the people that you work with better in some sort of way and help make their, you know, help contribute to their life in a positive way each and every day. What kind of similarities and differences do you see across the board, even though you work with such a wide variety of people? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I mean, I think one similarity is that everybody can benefit from help in some capacity, right? Like whether you're a five or six-year-old kid that's just starting out, right, and learning how to play a sport um, or just learning how to figure out getting into school and adjusting or whether you're a professional that's been doing it for years, I think as people – we all have certain vulnerabilities, right? And, and sometimes we look and judge people based on where we think they should be. Or sometimes we say, well, I don't know what that person's so worried about or why are they so upset or why are they so anxious? They're at the top of their game or they're at the top of their... So I think the ability to understand and understand people as people, right? Regardless of what they do or what they're defined by, I think is important. Um, I've noticed that as a similarity. Um, I think the other thing is you know, when I get into, you know, part of my practice is treating mental health and, and mental illness, if you will. And then the other part of my practice is doing kind of mindset training, mental health education and support, but really mindset training. And I think within that, one of the similarities I see is that with a lot of these individuals, there's this sort of desire to be better versions of themselves, this desire to be great. And this identification, as I said earlier, that like something's missing and they can identify something's missing. And sometimes they even know, look, it's my confidence. It's my anxiety. I get in my head, but then they don't know what to do about it. Right. And they've talked to other people. And sometimes people give advice and guidance and all kinds of motivational sayings, but they don't necessarily help them understand how to bridge that gap, help them kind of understand. So I think Another similarity is this ability to understand where people are, where they want to be and helping them get to the best version of themselves, right? And not necessarily saying, well, you're not a pro athlete, so I'm not going to help you or I'm not the right person for you. I've seen it just evolve, right? And it's evolved in some of the similar kind of struggles that um, and goals and, and things that people want to achieve. We see it in military. We see it in business. We see it in athletes. Um and it's also, you know, it's interesting because a lot of athletes go on to then be in the military. They go on to be business professionals, right? You just even talked about yourself growing as a business professional. So at some point we, you know, like the NCAA, you know, commercial says we all go pro in something else in sports. And so it's important to kind of understand that as an evolution, right, you're going to grow out of your sport. You may go into coaching, but now you're a professional different capacity. You may go into the military, you go in, you may go into business. And so understanding that and helping be able to navigate that with people, I think is important. Um, and some of those are shared experiences and the concepts you learn in sport, thank, frankly, really translate over. And if you really take the classroom of athletics and then learn what you can really learn about life and people talk about that as a cliche, but then they don't apply it. Right. Um, but if you really look at it that way, then the ability to instill the support while they're playing and help them be able to bridge 
that gap and help them be able to understand it. When they get to those other things that they're doing, it's less of an adjustment. It's less of a difficult transition. And ultimately, they're able to be more successful. Taking a quick little time out from our episode here to say a massive thank you for listening. Dream On started off as a way to have conversations with some of the people that I've been lucky to come in contact with and really dig deep into what makes them tick and how they've become so elite in their spaces. If you're enjoying these conversations as much as I have been, please consider rating us with a solid five stars and leave us a review. I love hearing all of your incredible thoughts on how we can continue to dream on together with these episodes. Oh, and subscribe if you're feeling cool. All right, let's get back to our guest a question that I ask a lot of fellow athletes that I have on this podcast is what did you think you took from maybe playing other sports when you were younger or um, you know maybe even it was a sport that you played when you were in fourth fifth sixth grade that you never touched in high school but you had a specific coach that might have said something to you that taught you a life lesson that now you still take into who you are as a business person as an entrepreneur as a leader as a player whatever it might be and I think that connection, like you said, it kind of goes across the board and everybody might have those kinds of shared experiences, but everyone's journey looks a little bit different. Um, And that kind of brings me into my next question is, you know, kind of about when you were younger, we've talked a lot about dreaming on, on this podcast, obviously it's the name of of the podcast, but when you were younger, did you always know one that you wanted to compete at a high level wrestling? And also, did you always know that you wanted to help people? Were they two different kind of realization points for you? Was it everything in the same? Um, did it all happen through sport? How was that kind of, how did that kind of add up in your journey? Yeah, so I mean, the answer is yes and no, right? So when I grew up, I was a competitive kid. Um, you know, I wanted to excel at whatever I did. I was an artist when I was a kid and I wanted to be like the best artist and I would teach everybody how to draw, right? And then when I started playing sports, I was very diligent. Like I was always very hardworking. I showed up, I did the work. My brother, I have a brother who's one year younger. He would just kind of show up and wing it. Right. And so like, you know, I would continue to do the work. I would advance. And if he didn't like it, he was like, I'm done with it. And then eventually we'd have to move on. Cause my mom was like, well, I'm not driving both of you. So wrestling came up really out of this thing that we were, we were small, we were scrappy. We used to fight a lot. Um, we, you know, wanted to kind of being a physical sport, we enjoyed football, we embraced football, but ultimately I think size was a limitation in that. And so we ultimately got into wrestling. And once we found, you know, that, that passion and that ability to succeed, you know, for both of us, but for me in particular, it just, it just took off. And I was just like, wow, I'm going to really get great at this. And once I started to find success and realized that I could continue to work hard and I could be able to, um, not only be successful in the map, but then in the classroom and in, in school, right? I mean, people started to identify me and their perception of me changed. And all of a sudden they realized that I was somebody that you didn't want to mess with and you wanted to respect and that, you know, for a variety of reasons. And so that was something that then drew me to be competitive. You know, it's interesting as far as helping people. I think I always wanted to help people in some capacity, but like my childhood dream was to be a teacher and a coach. Like that's what I wanted. And my parents discouraged it. You know, most parents are like, you can be whatever you want. And they were like, no, you're not going to be a teacher and a coach. And I kept saying, that's what I want. And they were just like, look, they work really hard. They don't make a lot of money. They're not appreciated. Like you should become a doctor. And I was like, I don't want to be a doctor. You should become a dentist. I was like, I'm not putting my hands in people's mouths. Like you should become a lawyer. And I was like, that's the last thing I'm going to do. So really it was interesting because that was my passion. And after college, I took a year off. I was actually a teacher and a coach. 
But there was something about, well, like, can I help people on a higher level? And so I applied to medical school, not necessarily thinking I would get in, um, but I felt like I, I should take the opportunity to apply, that I should take the opportunity to give myself a chance. Um, and I think this is interesting, and it goes back to what you said earlier, Kylie, is this idea of what you take from sport, right? So my mom really hated wrestling. She hated the weight cutting. She hated the fact that like we weren't eating at times. She hated the fact that we had gotten injured a couple of times. Um, she was worried that it was going to prevent us from growing. There was all these kind of concerns that a mom has, and it's an ugly sport to watch, especially if you don't understand it. It's not a fun sport to watch. Lacrosse, on the other hand, is probably the most fun sport to watch. Um, and my dad, you know, appreciated it, but he was more concerned with us, you know, putting the work in, in the classroom. But ultimately when I applied to medical school, my interview was all of five minutes. And this kind of goes back to this question, your previous question, but in my interview, the guy said, you're a wrestler. And I said, yeah. And he said, um, you were pretty good. I said, yeah, I was pretty good. And he said, you wrestled in college. I said, yeah, I wrestled in college. It's all written on the paper right there. You can. And he said, well, uh, he says, you're a hard worker. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, you don't give up. And I was like, I don't give up. And he's like, and you'll work well with other people. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, and you're humble. And I'm like, why are you saying things that like are just basic human traits, in my opinion? And he looks at me and I said, I appreciate everything you're saying. But I, and he said, I'm recommending you for acceptance to medical school next year. And I was floored and I was like, I appreciate it, but I don't understand why. Mm -hmm. And he said all those things again. And I said, yeah, yeah, we went over this. And he goes, he said, the world needs more wrestlers and the field of medicine needs more wrestlers. He goes, these are things you learned in your sport that will directly translate over to success in life and your ability to endure and your ability to navigate challenges and to be empathetic to other people and the struggle, all of these things. So I came home and I was like, my mom's like, how'd your interview go? I was like, mom, I think I got into med school. She's like, I knew it. We worked so hard to put you to great schools and we focused on education and like all this stuff. And I was like, no, because of wrestling. She's like, there's no way. And so it's this idea because then I knew, then I knew that that competitive edge had helped me. I knew that the desire to help people had helped me. And now I was in this position where I had to take advantage of it. So it kind of culminated with a variety of those things. And at that moment, I was like, I have to be a physician. I have to be the best physician I can be. I didn't know what field I would go into, but I knew that like at that point, you know, you work so hard in athletics so you can be the best. Mm -hmm. And in my, in, I had this opportunity to be the best doctor in that capacity. And I had that opportunity. I knew that if I gave that up, there were so many other people that wanted it. And it wasn't fair to me to not take it if I knew that I could live up to it. Right. Because then I would always wonder if, but I also knew that if I took it, I owed it to everybody else whose spot I took that I need to continue to grind. So it also helped me, it helped me stay accountable. And that's kind of been a theme through my life. That's a very, um, kind of really awesome way to look at an acceptance like that. Cause I think it's definitely a, I mean, it's gotta be one of the highlights of your life. Right. And it probably would be for a lot of people. And when we think about some of those high moments in our lives, maybe making a team that we've always wanted to make or getting that acceptance to, to med school, or maybe finally getting recruited after a long recruiting process to go into college and play the sport that we love, whatever it might be. Um, you know, usually a lot of times we celebrate for ourselves and almost say like, okay, the work is done. I did it. Um, and what you did is you turned that completely the opposite way. Like, Hey, I might've taken someone's spot who also worked just as hard to get here. I owe it to that person to give 110%. And I think that's a great way to kind of look at a lot of our highest moments in life, right? Our, our biggest achievements. It's almost like that idea of 
your biggest peak on the biggest mountain you've been climbing, there's another one right after that, right? We should be, we should continue to keep going. It's not, not the highest point. So um, I love that. I love that that kind of like came full circle too with your entire wrestling process and, and kind of proven everyone wrong in the best way possible. Um, that is something that um, I've had a lot of success with throughout my career is kind of that mentality. And um, I definitely, we talked about this on our podcast, but we see a lot of similarities between our, our two journeys. Um, and speaking of similarities, uh, we are both fun sized, as you said, not small. We are not short, we are fun-sized. And something I kind of wanted to loop into this, right? You've accomplished a lot in your life so far and so much more to accomplish. And something we talk about a lot with KO17 Lacrosse is, is goals, long-term goals and dreaming for those goals, but also at the same point in time, making sure that we kind of plan for those goals as well, right? Like we can't just say, oh yeah, that's gonna happen 10 years in the future and not work every single day to get 1% closer to that goal. So speaking of fun-sized, what were some of your fun-sized goals that helped you stay on track to achieving something so big, right? When you did get into medical school, you said you didn't know which field you wanted to go into. Um, it was very new for you. You were excited to be there and you knew you had to work hard. What were some of your smaller goals that you kept on a daily, on a monthly, on a, on a smaller goal basis to help you achieve and get to where you are now? Yeah, so I mean, I think, on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, it's interesting. I got in and you talk about dreaming and dreaming big, right? And, and a lot of people, their dream is to be a doctor. And so at that point I was like, wow, I'm going to do it. But I also didn't know if I belonged, right? Like I was like, I don't know if I belong here. So one goal was to prove to myself every day that I belonged, right? And prove to other people who didn't think I belonged that I did, right? So part of it was showing up every day. I mean, I went to class every day. A lot of people didn't go to class. You could get your classes on you know, online, or get the lectures and stuff like that. And some people chose not to, but to me, I showed up to practice every day, right? My entire life. And so to me, I showed up every day and I knew there were days I didn't want to be there. And I was like, you have to show up. So that was one thing. I also made a goal to create a schedule, right? And that was something that had served me, you know, throughout my life. But to me also working out was a big thing, right? I needed to create another thing to work out and, and another reason to work out. And so for me, it was a mental health thing. It was a physical thing, but I had different goals within that about things I wanted to achieve, how strong I wanted to get, how big I wanted to get, how much, you know, you know, weight I wanted to put up all those other kind of things that, you know, a lot of ex-college male athletes get into and then realize like, okay, like, let's just, let's just enjoy it and, and work hard. But to me, those were some kind of day-to-day -day goals. I did want to make sure that whatever I did, I was the best at it. So once I decided to go into psychiatry, um, I realized I, whatever I went into, I need to go into it because it's for me and, and helping people teaching coaching was something. So once I made that commitment, that's when I thought, okay, I'm going to be the best psychiatrist, you know, that I can be, but not just the best that I can be, but the best in the area. Like that was something that I said that I wanted to be. And it wasn't defined necessarily by like awards and accolades. It was by the ability to relate to people and have people communicate with me and feel comfortable. Because I think in the mental health field, there's a big discrepancy between the people that are providers and the people that are patients. And I think that a lot of patients are very reluctant to see a provider because they feel like they're not necessarily understood or they're a little bit flaky or a little bit esoteric, right? And a lot of people that struggle with mental health, which is probably everybody to some extent in some capacity 
like to go and talk to somebody else that they don't know and they don't understand can be really, really challenging. And so I wanted to make sure that my goal was that I was going to be the person that understood them, the person that was going to allow them to be comfortable, the person that was going to allow them to be heard, and the person that was going to challenge them and motivate them, right? And that was kind of a thing that has always been a goal of mine. And so, you know, a lot of my goals as, as we kind of get into it, a lot of my goals are very process oriented. They're about the process of becoming great, the process of doing things. And so to me, when I create those as my goals and those as my measurables, then the outcomes become that like the awards come and the accolades come and being asked to do really cool stuff and, and work with really cool people. And that's kind of a byproduct of it, but that's something that's always been a big thing for me. And so it's always been to be the best. It really has been. And at a young age, in a field where there's so many bright and smart people, and I don't consider myself one of the brightest or the smartest, but I do consider myself probably one of the more relatable ones, right? Um, and so that to me is something that is a tremendous accomplishment, but it's led to like all these other awards of being like top doctor and all these other things that come with that. I, I think that's so important. I think that's something that, you know, a lot of my own teammates and myself have had this conversation and Obviously, as you know, mental health awareness becomes something that is more and more talked about, um, especially in in sports and among social media. And um, you know, I think it is something that's it. A lot of people are afraid to kind of dive into because of that relation with a stranger, right? And I think that that's such a really unique and awesome goal of yours to to be able to be the relatable one, to be the approachable one, to be someone that someone can confide in with their deepest, darkest secrets and their biggest fears and all those things. And I think that's so important for all of us to have, whether it looks like someone like yourself, right? A doctor, or maybe it's just a friend or a parent. We always talk about that too, and just confiding in each other. And um, I think that's, that's a really incredible piece of, you know, a, a goal that you set for yourself. I think that's something that, you know, a lot can take, a lot of people can take from. Well, it also comes from, you said fun size, right? And we joked about when you and I kind of connected, we joked about our size and we talked about, you know, being short or small. So it's funny because people ask me like, how did you get to this point? And like, how did you become such a good speaker or really, you know, the ability to articulate yourself, right? And I said, it's actually, I think a lot of it came from me being shorter, right? Because, you know, being shorter and people kind of noticing that about you and teasing you about that or excluding you from certain things because of that, you know, can get really, really frustrating, right? And can get really hard. And sometimes you're just like, man, if I was only a little bit taller, right? If I was just a little bit bigger. And that's something so many people struggle with. And there was a point, and I'll never forget it, but there was a point where I was told I wasn't good enough. I wasn't tall enough, right? For this, this young lady to go out with me. I was in high school and I was told I wasn't tall enough and that's why she wasn't gonna go out with me. And there was a moment where like, it could have broken me, but it was this moment where I realized I can never control that. But then I started thinking about, well, what can I be? Well, I can be as nice as, yeah, I can be the nicest person, right? I can be humble. I can be kind. I can be understanding. I can be compassionate. All these things that I felt like wasn't happening to me, right? Because of my size, I was like, I can be the best at all those things. Then they're not going to notice my height and they're going to notice everything else. And so fundamentally, this ability to be relatable has almost come out of like me being fun size, right? And people joke like, well, they don't joke. They say, why do you work with kids? I'm like, because I don't want to be like the shortest person in the room. Like, right? Like I want to be on their level. And so 
it's like a joke, but it's also true metaphorically is that I really want to be on everybody's level because there was a time where I wasn't, I wasn't physically and it was pointed out repeatedly. And now like that limitation has become a consideration and it's become this ability to connect with people and understand that everybody has something that they're, they're not proud of, or that they're worried about, or that they consider a flaw. And for me, like we all have things about ourselves and we can choose whether we like them or we can choose whether we embrace them. And to me, I embrace it. And I actually love, I love the fact that I'm on the smaller side. I absolutely love it because it is what it is. It's who I am. And to me, it just gives me another challenge of proving that I'm bigger than what I really am. Um, and when I speak to groups, Kylie, I spoke to Syracuse. I said, how tall do you think I am? And this always happens. They were like five, six, five, seven. And I was like, I love that you thought that because I'm not, but like, it's this ability to project yourself in a way where people see the true you and your size absolutely doesn't matter. So that's fundamentally how it came up. Absolutely. That's awesome. I think there's so many other ways that you can be quote unquote, the bigger person. Right. Um, and you've kind of proved that throughout your entire life. So um, I love that because I do, you know, obviously, again, specific to lacrosse, it is a question that I get a lot, you know, my daughter is, you know, really short, really small compared to her teammates, or, you know, I'm, I'm the shortest one out on the field, I'm, I'm not the fastest one out on the field, what should I do? What kind of advice do you have for me? And um, I couldn't have said it more perfectly myself. So I think just kind of living through those experiences and knowing that you can have strengths and work towards strengths more controllable than any sort of size or height or anything that you can't control. Right. And, um, you know, live in proof right here, Dr. T of what you can achieve. Um, so we talked a little bit about, um, on our podcast, on your podcast episode, we talked a little bit about how everybody within their own lives is going to, at some point become a leader. Um, and I thought this was a really interesting point because, I think that you have been and are a leader in a lot of different experiences, a lot of different moments in your life. And um, I do think being a leader isn't sometimes all it like is shining to be, right? Sometimes it's like being the captain seems like it's the most exciting thing or sometimes being the face of something seems like the most exciting thing, but it actually brings on a ton of stress, a ton of pressure, a ton of all of these different things. So I guess my question to you would be, in the places you've found yourself as a leader in your life, what do you think are some of the most difficult challenges that you've had to kind of overcome and, and how do you do so? Yeah, so it's a great question. I think one of the challenges is that when you're in a leadership position and people kind of look to you as a leader, right, is there's this kind of identification of like, wow, people think I'm something special. People think I'm great. And sometimes the biggest challenge is to stay humble, right? Yeah. But I think if you're going to continue to sustain as a leader, you have to be humble because once you start to lose that humility, there's always going to be somebody that's going to knock you off and they're going to take your spot. Right. And so I think it's important to recognize that. I think that's a challenge. Um, the other thing is, I think that, you know, this ability to continue to improve, right? Like we all have the ability to continue to improve. There's always people better than you at something, right? There's always somebody better. And so I think sometimes when people get in a leadership position or they're recognized as a captain or they're recognized as, you know, whatever, the CEO or the chief resident, there sort of becomes this like complacency sometimes of like, oh, I'm there, I've made it, right? Like I hit my dream. And you said something interesting earlier. You said you get to the top of the mountain and you can look and there's other paths to go up, right? When people think they're truly at the top of the mountain, there's only one direction to go and that's down. Mm -hmm. Right. 
And so that's where I think that it's important to recognize, look to your left, look to your right, look for other opportunities to grow, look for other opportunities to become a leader. That to me is an incredibly important thing. And then the other challenge that I think a lot of leaders have is the ability to listen to other people, right? I think I've learned that through my profession and, and fundamentally I'm paid to listen. And I'm paid to listen and to be able to reflect and to be able to help somebody feel valued. So I have to do it because if not, like I'm not doing my job, but I see it a lot. And I see that even myself, sometimes I have to remind myself, like you're here for them. You're here for them. So remind yourself of that. Listen to that person, find opportunities in that conversation to be able to help them with where they are rather than thinking, you know, everything. So those are kind of, I think, the three biggest challenges, you know, that humility, that ability to continue to grow and the ability to actually listen and learn from other people. Because when you do that, you're going to become a more effective leader. But I think so many people in leadership positions don't listen. And what they do is they talk and they tell people what to do. And they say, because I said so, right? Because I'm the parent, because I'm the coach, because I'm the leader, I'm the captain. Like, no, if, if you're not listening and you're not humble and you're not looking for particular opportunities to grow, then you're really not a leader. And that that's kind of what I would say about that. I love that. I think that, you know, um, the opportunity to grow is always there, no matter how, you know, at, at your peak you think you are. I think that's one of my favorite points about that. And then I think your point to how you want to be as a doctor in your practice, relatable, right? You want to be approachable. I think that's something that all leaders should want to be as well. Right. And I think that, um, that's something we talk about a lot with some of our younger girls that are thinking about leadership positions and being a captain and going into these different things, but, um, the best kind of captain you can be. And we talked about this again on your podcast episode was, um, just trying to walk the walk. Right. And that's just kind of like that mindset of, instead of talking at people, because you feel like you're up here and they're down here because of that said position you're put in, that said leadership role you're put in, um, maybe it's practicing what you preach. And you kind of mentioned to me as well that that's something that you take into your day-to-day -day life, whether it's just walking down the street, grabbing a coffee, or it's you know through your practice and everybody that you work with, and maybe it's in your own workouts. And I guess my question to you about that is where do you think that mindset kind of came about? And um, how do you think others can really incorporate that into their own life, even if they don't find their self in leadership roles, just people every day, athletes, all, all those good things. I think it's such a great mindset. Yeah. I mean, I think it came from a couple of things. I think one, as an athlete, it was seeing the discrepancy in coaches, right? Seeing the coaches that I felt like truly were doing what they were saying, right? They were teaching you things or telling you to do things and they were doing themselves, right? They were in practice with you. They were working out with you, not just standing there and saying, do this because I said so. And I remember as an athlete, I was drawn to those people, right? The people that were actually doing it, the people would actually get on the mat with me and work out with me, right? And let me like go at it with them, right? And let me be aggressive with them and would allow me to grow. Those were the people that I wanted to work out with. Those were the people that I wanted to learn from, right? And so for me, as an athlete, seeing that I was drawn to that was something that was important and it allowed me that as I've continued to make sure that... I'm continuing to do the work because I think I see so many times parents and coaches that say, well, you know, when I was your age, this is what I did. Or 30 years ago, I did this, or I was an All-American at college. And then you look at them and they're not acting like an All-American. They're not behaving in the way that an All-American would behave. They're not, you know, exercising, but they're telling you to go run, right? And, and so to me, there's nothing more insulting and dismissive if you expect a young person 
to listen to you if you're not going to continue to do it yourself. Because there's one thing to say, it's another thing to show it, right? And young people aren't stupid. They look, they see, right? And they see other people doing it. And so to me, that was one thing is it motivated me. Also, I think had a couple of individuals, you know, in my life that really preached how to live by your actions. Um, you know, where I went to school, we had a headmaster named Redmond Finney, Reddy Finney. And, and he talked about the difference between first-class citizens, second-class citizens, and third-class citizens, right? And he talked about how third-class citizens will like throw trash on the ground, right? Or they'll just throw it wherever because it's convenient. Second-class citizens will walk by and they'll see it. They won't throw it, but they'll walk by and they won't do anything. And a first-class citizen, when they see it, will pick up the trash and throw it away, right? And that was something that was ingrained in our culture while I went to school. And to this day, when I see a piece of trash, right, I'll go and I'll pick it up, right? When I'm working out and I see a bottle, I pick it up, right? When somebody drops something, I will pick it up. I was in residency on rounds, Kylie, and one of the janitorial staff, their trash can flipped over, trash went everywhere. We were on rounds. I was a physician, right? I stopped, I went over, I picked up the trash can, helped them put trash in. My boss started yelling at me and saying, what are you doing? I said, I'm helping her with her trash. They said, we're on rounds right? You need to be over here. I said, I'll catch up with you. And I will make sure that I learn everything I need to. But right now I need to help this person. And she looked at me and she said, nobody's ever done this before. And I was shocked. But like, to me, that was ingrained in me that that's how you live, right? Like, that's how you live. And so, you know, my father also really preached humility and he preached hard work. And he came from a really humble background, but he was a physician. And so I saw that I saw the work that he did. I also saw the sacrifices and how he sacrificed being away from us. And so I learned from him hard work, but I also learned the importance of being with your family and knowing when to, you know, when to be a professional and when to be a father. And so I take that into my own personal life too. And so those are a couple of things that I think have resonated with me over the years and have made it important. And again, we talked about being relatable to me. If I want a college athlete to pay attention to me, I have to work out like a college athlete. And sometimes I do it to excess. But to me, there's nothing more rewarding than an athlete that asks me to work out with me, right? Or they say, hey, I picked you because you're a high-level athlete. And we talked about athletes. And But, you know, Grant Ament, who's one of the top lacrosse players in the world, asked me to work with him because he saw I was working out. And he said, what drew me to you was the fact that you were a college athlete. And I know the work that you put in and the work that you keep putting in. And the fact that you were a doctor was just like, that was just like a bonus. But to me, like something like that is all about the work, right? It's not about the accomplishment. And so we've built a phenomenal friendship and a relationship. And, and that that's been, I think, an inspiration for other young athletes. So that's awesome. And I think that, you know, that kind of entire situation right there with Grant, um, you know, really resonated with me because my longtime performance coach and trainer, TJ, We've been working together for about 12 years now. And throughout all of COVID, he was my workout partner. He wasn't standing there telling me like, you got to do this. You got to be ready. You got to do this. Go run some more sprints. Like he was getting on the line with me. He was, you know, in the weight room with me. We still joke to this day. It was just the two of us down in the basement, getting assault, assault bike sprints in. And um, I think that was so important because it, it just builds that trust in someone that you really are going to trust in a different aspect of your life, maybe right. With something else, but when they can resonate with you and they can show you like, Hey, I'm here with you. I'm going to go through this with you. It's, it's to that next level. And it's yeah. so much more important when it comes to that trust. And um, I think that player coach or um, you know, player friend player, whatever it might be, or person to person relationship 
comes from trust. And if you can do that based off what you put out into the atmosphere, um, I think that's really, really special. Um, and I think something you mentioned, right? Still working out like a college athlete. Um, this is one of my least favorite questions to receive from someone. So I'm going to spring it on you. Um, <laughs> what does a daily or weekly look into your life look like? That's a great, great question. Um, it's different every day, right? It's different, but there's also similarities. So I think daily is, you know, I wake up, I wake up early, um, usually because I have to walk my dogs, um, because my wife and I've sort of somehow created that arrangement. I don't know how that happened. And I think it happened when she was pregnant and she couldn't walk the dogs. And so now I walk them every morning, mostly. So I get up, but you know, and, and it's cold, but, but I've turned that into a little bit of sort of a meditative appreciation process. So I really watch them as they're walking. Right. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate the fact that I have two furry friends that will love me unconditionally and that I get the opportunity, right? Even when I'm cleaning up after them, I will tell myself it's a privilege, right? It's a privilege to clean up, you know, their poop because it means that like they belong to me and I have that opportunity. So I look for opportunities to integrate mindset into everything I do, right? Then I go to work and I typically see patients throughout the day, right? And, and most days I'm seeing patients from eight, eight o'clock in the morning to 5.30 in the afternoon. And I have some gaps built in there. Um, I usually try to get a workout after work. Um, for me, doing it after work, even though I'm physically tired, is mentally therapeutic and it allows me to kind of break off my work life with my home life. Um, and then I come home and I always want to make sure since my little boy was born that I spent time with him and there's a two hour window where he's awake before he goes to bed. And I try really hard, put my phone away, spend time with him every once in a while I catch myself sending a text and then I remind myself, you know, that I need to practice what I preach and I'll put it away. Right. And I really try to be present. Um, my wife and I try to participate in his bedtime every night as you and I talk. That's why we're doing this partly maybe why we're doing this at 830 is because he's sleeping. But again, just being intentional about the ability to spend whatever time that you have and participate in that. Right. Um, and then typically, you know, I'll, I'll try to relax. Sometimes I'll prep for teams that I'm working with or podcasts that I'm working with. Um, and then I try to go to bed at a consistent hour. And, and then, you know, my weekends. I always try to get a really, really hard workout and Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, I'm up, I try to be outside. And usually I'm thinking somebody's going to be watching this. I'm probably going to film part of it because I know people are going to be watching. So I got to shock the world. Like I got to come up with something and I've got, I've created a couple of really good friends and workout partners that are, you know, interested in pushing me and they're they're They push me probably harder than I would push myself. And so inevitably I put myself in these situations and I use this expression about being comfortable with being uncomfortable where I have to step up. I have to, you know, continue to challenge myself and them. But again, like I call that professional development. My wife says, you know, it's seven degrees outside. Why are you going outside to do, you know, a thousand burpees right on new year's day. And I say professional development on it. And she's like, here you go again. Like, so to me, it's this idea of how can I continue to challenge myself mentally, physically, emotionally, but, but also I'm big on kind of having a sense of intention every day and really, you know, doing something for my, my job, doing something for myself, which is usually my fitness and doing something for my family. And if I can focus on those three areas and I try to kind of prep that in the morning, as I'm walking my dogs, it allows me to have a sense of accomplishment, um, 
you know, if I do three, three things a day, then by the end of the week, I've done 21 things, right? By the end of the month, I've done 90 things, right? You multiply that times 12 months. That's a lot of things I've accomplished, right? And these are things that I think we don't always think about as accomplishments. And you said, what's the best thing you've accomplished? I said, I made my little boy smile and laugh. Like that's an accomplishment because I had the opportunity to do that. And that's a way of thinking. And so, you know, it's a long-winded answer. Um, but you know, my day is spent really trying to be intentional about what I do. Before I go to bed, I forgot to say this, my wife and I have a gratitude challenge where we each say one thing that day that we're appreciative of. Um, and we turn it into a challenge because I want mine to be better than hers. And so throughout the day, I have to find one thing. And I think about one thing. Um, tonight, I'm pretty sure this podcast is going to be my one thing. And so I'm going to win yet another one. But that allows me to go to bed thinking about what do I appreciate, thinking about what I'm grateful for. And again, the next morning, I got to think about something better because I don't know what's going to happen with her. So that's my day. That's awesome. I was going to ask, you know, you mentioned um, kind of prepping those three things that you really want to achieve out in your day in the beginning of the day. Um, and then you you have kind of like a nightcap as well, right? And that kind of is that gratitude piece. And um, I'm a big journaler. I wake up and the first thing I do is I write out my intentions for the day, how I'm going to get moving, um, you know, all those different kinds of things. And at the end of the night, I make sure that I'm in bed reading and also making sure that I'm, I was thankful for something, you know, I'm usually taking some sort of moment, just like you with my furry friend, um, Oakley, and just like recognizing, wow, like today was a good day, even if it wasn't, you know, today, there was one piece of today that was okay, that was pretty cool that happened on this day in this year, that'll never happen again. Let's see what tomorrow brings. Um, so that's, that's a really awesome piece to know that someone who does so many things in one day and wears so many hats in one day can still accomplish those little things each and every day. Um, that those pieces of gratitude and those pieces of kind of planning out your intentions. Um, if you can do it, I think almost all of us can do it. Um, well, and the only reason I can do it is because I do those little things, right? That's the other thing. Like those little things really set your stage to be able to do that. And that's, what's so important too. Sometimes we focus so much on the big things and like we define ourselves by the big things and it has to be like this amazing meeting or we have to like score the winning goal. And if not, it's just a horrible day. But if you really focus on those little things, those big things are more likely to happen and you're able to appreciate those even more because you put yourself in a position to do that. So I think, I think that's really important. Hey guys, Kylie here. A short break from our conversation to remind you to check in on our social channels. You can find little snippets from our episodes on Instagram at at dream.on underscore pod. And if you're a lacrosse stud looking for a unique way to train and develop into the best version of yourself, like our guest here most definitely has, check out the KO17 Lacrosse app in the App Store. That's KO17 Lacrosse. And at D R E A M period O N underscore P O D on Instagram. Come join the fam and we can keep dreaming on together. Okay, enough of that. We back. So important. I think, you know what? I'm learning so much. I think we need to do a podcast episode every week. Um, but. <laughs> But I do think um, one thing that we're kind of talking a lot about, and obviously your podcast name is the Mindset Experience, and um, we're talking a lot about our mindset here. And I wanted to bring up one thing that we had a conversation about, and you asked me about why I tuck my jersey in. And then you said that you tuck your shirts in every time that you work out or every time that you're going to do some sort of like physical challenge. Um, can you take our listeners through your mindset behind tucking your shirt in before you, um, attack those challenges? 
100%. So it started when I was in high school wrestling. And I think there were twofold. One is that, you know, when, when you're wrestling, if your shirt is tucked in, it's less material for, you know, your opponent to grab, right? If it's out, it's just easier. It's, it's in the way, it gets in the way. But the other thing is that when you're a high school wrestler or you're a middle school wrestler, you look at the top wrestlers, you look at the, the top collegiate wrestlers. And at the time it was Iowa, right? And they all tuck their shirts in. And so you looked at that and said, wow, like they're great and they tuck their shirt in. So if I want to be great, I have to tuck my shirt in. And you drew this weird parallel that didn't necessarily have to do with it, but it was something you identified in that person. And you're like, they're great. And this is what they do. So I think the other thing is it's about like, when you want to be great, look at people who are great, look how they act, look how they dress. Right. That was one thing. When I went to high school, my high school was a private school and they were very big on tucking your shirt in and everybody hated it. But when your shirt was out, you would get in trouble, tuck your shirt in, tuck your shirt in. So it became this mantra that I learned, but then ultimately it was this idea of professionalism going to work, whether you're going to work in practice, whether you're going to work in school, whether you're going to work, there was this idea of being clean, polished, um, and just respectable. Right. And like, does it make a difference in how you learn and how you perform? I don't really know. But what I noticed is that the people that were successful, the people that took their job seriously, they would tuck their shirt in. And that's what I wanted to be like. And when I got to college, we all tucked our shirts in in practice. And it was this really weird thing, like sweatshirts, we tucked in into our sweatpants. It looked weird, but there was this idea of like, oh, there go the wrestlers again. Like there they are. And so again, like we embraced that weirdness and it became this thing. And so for me now, it takes me back to my competitive days, right? It takes me back when I tuck my shirt in, in my head, it kind of transformed this idea of like, okay, now you're here to work. You're not just lounging around. It's not just comfy. And sometimes for me, it's less comfortable. I know for you, you said you tuck it in because it was more comfortable. Sometimes for me, it's less comfortable because it's less loose. And like, if I'm working out, it's kind of pulling, but I like it because it shows me that you're here to work. And when you're done working, go ahead and let your shirt out. Right. Um, and so to me, it's become that thing. I tuck my shirt and I go to work with a shirt and a tie. The way I dress is very intentional, Kylie, right? Like when I work out, I tuck my shirt in. When I go to work, I wear a shirt and a tie. It's tucked in, but I also roll my sleeves up halfway and I don't wear a sport coat. And the reason is that I think a sport coat is off-putting for kids and it's less relatable, but a tie is still very professional for kids and parents. The reason I roll my sleeves up just a little bit is because I'm going to work and I'm sitting at the table with kids working with them. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's like rolling your sleeves up. And so to me, all these little things, when I do it in my mind, I start to get ready that like, okay, we're ready to go to work. We're ready to, you know, and some people I think look at that and say, well, I don't understand if you do a good job, none of that should matter. And for them, it might not. But for me, it's just this been ingrained, this thing that like, whatever I've done, it kind of prepares me for it. And when I saw you do it, that was one of the things that stuck out. And I was like, she's awesome. Like I see that. Right. And, and you said nobody had ever asked you about that, which I loved, but I saw that and it resonated with me. And it was just this idea of like, let's go to work, like, let's go to work. And so that's what it does for me. And it's an, also a tiny act that sometimes when we do small actions, right. They're associated the way we think. Right. And they've become like that over years. And so sometimes we can change the way that we think by the action that we do. In fact, a lot of times we can. And so for me, whatever else I'm focused on and getting distracted, when it's time to focus on something that's important by tucking my shirt in, that's an action that cues me, shifts my attention and my focus, reduces my fear, my worry, my anxiety, whatever. And now I feel much more confident.
I love that because again, it ties into a very lacrosse specific question I get from a lot of young players and that it's not necessarily what, what is the thing that helps you with your pregame anxiety, but it's, um, it's more so how are you not nervous before games? What do you do in the locker room? What is your pregame routine? What is your pregame ritual? Those kinds of questions, but what they're truly asking is what you just explained, right? Like, how can I shift my mindset from whatever kind of distractions are going on around me or whatever kind of pressure that might come with the game that I'm about to play or the practice I'm about to play in or the test I'm supposed to take in class right now? How can I shift back to reality and focus on what I need to do? And sometimes it's a small action and those actions might look different for each and every one of us where me and you might tuck our shirts in. Um, I might put my eye black on before game day, but that could be something completely different for someone else. And it's definitely important to, to try to find what that might be for each. Yeah, and, I, and frankly, I might start putting eye black on before I go into the <laughs> office to start treating patients. And when they say, what are you doing? I'm just going to like, I want you to check out KO 17 and see what she's doing. Now you see what Dr. T's doing. Oh, that's awesome. That's wonderful. Like little brand promotion there. Um, but you might scare some kids away. <laughs> so <laughs> let's keep that in mind too. But um, so amazing. I think you talk about a lot about your work because I can tell that you're super passionate about it, which I think is um, a really important thing. I think it's also something that a lot of us strive to have in our lives, right? To love what we do and wake up every day and just be grateful for what we get to do with our jobs. And um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about, you know, what you do each and every day with your patients, with maybe some of the high level athletes that you work with, with some of the high level lacrosse teams that you work with and um, just kind of what you, you know, try to, to gain out of these relationships and help them with. Yeah. Uh, so, and thank you for asking. So part of it is, I think, is really taking this idea of mental health that people talk about and making it something that's actually actionable, right? I think people talk about the importance of mental health, how it's a big thing. Um, mindset is a big thing now. They're, they've, they've sort of become these like buzzwords that people then don't really define or they don't do anything about it, or they sort of check a box and say, yeah, we're addressing it. We brought somebody in, we did a lecture. So I think one thing that I want to do is I don't want to just be a box that somebody checked. Like I want to truly take this and be able to provide the support and the education for these athletes or these people that come to me to be able to allow them to feel better, to be able to be better versions of themselves, to be able to help them understand how their minds work and ultimately empower them and teach them how to be able to navigate these challenges, right? How to be able to utilize anxiety, how to be able to recognize when they're depressed or they're discouraged or they're demoralized, right? And helping them separate that out and understanding the language. So ultimately what I've done, Kylie, is I've created a kind of a series of programs and that's where Mindset Training Institute came in. Instead of just being Dr. T who does all these, I felt like it was important to, again, have a, an intentionality behind it and a brand. But you know, I have programs for parents, I have programs for coaches, um, sports medicine professionals who wanted to learn more about mental health. And then ultimately for athletes, I created a mental skills training program. And, you know, I've talked about that a little bit, but it's this idea of a, like a strength and conditioning program, or, you know, when people do sports performance, or, you know, they look at skills and drills, right? And you teach the skills and you teach the drills and you explain why these things are important and how this is going to help you with your shot or how this is going to help you be able to be more effective on the draw, right? Or be able to, you know, scoop that ground ball or whatever it is. And you explain the technique, but when it comes to health and wellness, we don't do that. We just say like, oh, if you're anxious, like be positive, believe in yourself, visualize like, and then we say slogans. If you believe it, you can achieve it. Like, you know, together we achieve more, like 
you got this, right? That's something people say all the time. And so like, there's this huge gap. And I felt like this is such a, an area that really needs to be addressed and addressed correctly and appropriately. And that comes back to me saying, I wanted to be the best a long time ago, but be the best in a way that's really relatable. And so my mental skills training program takes that concept of a strength and conditioning program or a performance-based and it breaks it down. And so when I work with athletes and teams, I explain to them how their mind works, how it's connected to their body. And then I actually explain to them what these concepts are, why they work, giving background, giving science in a way that they understand, whether it's, you know, a sixth, seventh grader or, you know, a professional athlete in a language they understand, and then helping them also explain and show them how to do it. I do it with them. I show them how to do these skills. We take notes, they get a packet, they get like a program from me. Um, you know, we give them an idea of how many reps, how many sets, when you're going to do it, what time of day, and we figure it out with them about what works best. And so ultimately they have a plan. They have a program, like everything else they've done in life is in order to get bigger, faster, stronger, you need a plan and a program, right. In order to, you know, be able to, you know, have a more effective draw or have a more effective shot from the eight meter, you need a program, right. In order to make the varsity team or to be an all American, you need a program, you need a plan, you need a process. So I give them that process, but educate them on how it works. And so it's been amazing because performance wise, they've been improving confidence wise, they've been improving the ability to be more resilient, but also like I've had so many athletes now access mental health when they didn't before because they were resistant or they didn't feel comfortable. And they were like, you're pretty cool for a doctor. Like the way you talked about it, like I wouldn't mind talking to somebody like you. And then they go find somebody that they think is like me. And so, and I, or I help them find it, or they've been able to have conversations with their parents that they were afraid to before. Mm -hmm. um, and so to me, what's so amazing is creating that awareness, not just by saying mental health is a big deal. We need to pay attention. It's about actually showing them things that they can do and then empowering them to say, wow, like if I want to get physically stronger, I know what to do, right? If I want to be able to get, you know, better flexibility, I know what to do, better nutrition, but now mental health, I know what to do and, and how it works. And so that's ultimately what I've done. Um, because I didn't think anybody else was doing a great enough job at it, frankly. And I thought, well, if, if not me, then who, and either I'm going to sit here and complain about it and say, well, these people don't know what they're doing, or I'm going to step up and do it and do it well, and ultimately be able to help other people and then be able to teach other people how to do it. So that's kind of how it all came about. And it's been phenomenal. It's been great. And I've met some awesome, awesome people, but I've had like all these people now reach out and tell me things that I've taught them and how it's changed their life, but how they're using it, not just you made an impact, but Hey, Dr. T I'm doing the gratitude challenge every night. Hey, Dr. T I started doing, you know, writing down my three areas of focus. Hey, Dr. T you changed the way I view mindset now. Um, you know, I had a couple of college athletes say like, like, you know, this was the best zoom call I ever had. I had one college athlete tell another one, can he be my dad? And she was <laughs> like, can he be my dad? And I was like, dad, I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I should at least be your cool uncle, not your dad, but like, <laughs> the ability. And that's where I realized like, wow, I'm actually old enough to be some of their dads, but it was this ability that like, if they felt comfortable enough to say like, I want that person to be my family member, right. That means that it had an impact. And that's really, really cool. And that's a shout out to the hidden opponent who I know you and I are linked through. I did a program for them. And, and that's when some of the college athletes were saying that in the chat. So um, oh, it was funny, but it resonates with me. So, yeah. Oh, that's great. It's, I mean, 
I know firsthand as well, you know, that kind of seeing the results is one of the most rewarding feelings. And then also being able to see it kind of play out years and years in advance and knowing all that kind of like hard work and stepping up in a space where you saw a huge gap, um, which frankly, I see it too. So appreciate what you're doing um, very much so and excited to, you know, obviously help you have you work with our KO 17 girls in the future. Um, because I think it's, it's such an important space and I think it's something nobody else is doing. Um, so we appreciate you very much for, for doing it, for stepping up and, and taking on the role. So a couple last pieces before we wrap up this episode. Um, first and foremost, we'd like to end with a little bit of inspiration, which I think this entire episode has been about inspiration, but we're going to, we're going to wrap it up with some more too. Um, twofold kind of question here, who has been someone who, you know, maybe a mentor, parent, coach in your life who maybe gave you a piece of advice or taught you some sort of life lesson that you've taken all the way through till now. And then on the flip side of that, what is something that if someone who is following you, who sees you, who learns from you, what is one piece of advice you want them to take from you? So something you learned from a mentor and something you hope that someone who follows you can take from you. So I think my father, right? My father was a physician. I told you he grew up humble and he worked really hard to get into med school. And, and it's a long story, but ultimately that's what he ended up doing. And when I got into med school and then when I got into residency, I would complain like everybody does. I complained about the hours. I complained about how hard it was. I complained about how people were, un were ungrateful and he would sort of listen. And then he would always say, you need to remember it's a privilege to help people. You need to stop complaining. It's a privilege. These people come to you because they're in need and they need help and you're the one they picked. So it's a privilege. That's something I remember every single day, whether I'm having a great day, whether I'm having a really hard day, is I always remember it's a privilege to be able to help people, right? For me, it's in the office sometimes or on the field, but as a coach, as a parent, it's a privilege to spend time with your child, right? To be able to watch them play lacrosse and be able to have that time. It's a privilege to be able to coach kids that they picked your team. And it's a privilege to be a physician. So that's something I always remember and I always try to remember. And I tell myself, because sometimes it's hard, right? When I'm changing my kid's poopy diaper, I say it's a privilege to change your diaper. I say it, I say it out loud because I need to remind myself that that means I have a son who needs me, right? That's important. What I want people to take from me, right? And I wore this shirt for you today. It says, focus on the process, right? We are so outcome oriented and we define ourselves by outcomes. And to me, like the big word is productivity, right? So I'm a big, you know, I'm intentional about language now, right? I'm big on processivity, right? Instead of productivity, focus on processivity, create a process for whatever you do, be intentional. If you do those things, I think you're ultimately going to be more successful. But a lot of what I do, whether it's working out, whether it's, you know, in the office, whether it's, you know, how I get dressed in the morning, everything has a process. And it doesn't mean that it's robotic and mechanical, but it's very well thought out about why are you doing this? How are you doing it? And what order are you doing it? And to me, when you create that, it relieves the anxiety. It relieves the, what if this doesn't work out? What if this doesn't work out? What if I disappoint this person? Because those are outcome. And it's like, okay, well, I can just focus on this now. Like I can just tuck in my shirt. I can put on my eye black. I can look at myself in the mirror right? I look at the number 17 tattoo on my arm and on my jersey and know that I'm going to go out there and I'm going to crush it. And I'm going to inspire myself. I'm going to inspire my family. I'm going to inspire all the little girls that are watching me. And I'm going to be great today, right? That's a process. And to me, that's so important that I want people to really understand is 
you should have outcome goals, but really create a process and focus on that. And that's going to allow you to get there and just feel more confident, right? And then you're going to want to do more things. I love that. And thank you for, um, you know, you kind of made me zone out there for a second because I was picturing myself actually in the mirror before a game <laughs> because you were using me as an example. But um, now you got me all fired up about to go to bed, but now I want to go play a lacrosse game. Um, <laughs> we we have some questions or we have a question from our KO17 lacrosse um, family. Every time we have a, a podcast uh, guest on, we send out some some information and we have some questions come in. And I thought this was a question that sometimes, um, you know, I'll get these questions and I'm not sure how to answer them. And that's why we bring them to our guests. And um, our question here from KO17 Lacrosse, it's actually from a parent um, and they wanna know when is a good age to start working on these kinds of mindset habits that will help build that mental strength that will help, you know, kind of turn into a very strong mindset when it comes to athletics as a, as a young child. Yeah. So I think, you know, as soon as kids start playing sports, there is an opportunity to be able to learn how to effectively communicate with them. Right. So that to me is mindset training, right? Like teaching them about, you know, what they can do when they get anxious, helping them even recognize it. Like that feeling they get when they're like, mommy, I don't feel good. Or mommy, what's, what's going on? Tell me, what, what are you thinking? I don't know if I can do it. Right. Then a lot of parents are like, of course you can do it. I believe in you. Everything's great. And like help them understand like, well, what can you tell yourself? Right. Like what, what, what would you want to know? So if I could tell you anything, what would it be? Well, mommy, if you told me you believed in me, or if you tell me you love me, okay, then tell yourself you love you right? Like I'll tell you, but then tell yourself. So that to me is a very small thing that you can do is ingraining that kind of affirmation, right? Or that I'm just going to go out and have fun, or I'm going to work as hard as I can, right? Little things like that, that are about effort. They're not are about scoring goals that are about that. So that to me is a mindset thing, right? I think as you get further on, you know, the way the brain develops and stuff, I think when you get it to the middle school age, people start to understand a little bit more that the world is more than just out, you know, what, what they see. And so I think then there's an ability and they're a little bit, um, you know, more willing to work harder, right. And to put in some of that work that can be a good time as well. But again, it has to be gradually introduced. And then I think when you get to that high school level, if you really have aspirations of playing beyond high school, right. And you really have aspirations, that's where I think it becomes more and more mental. And you and I both know this, that when you get further on in high school and you get to, you know, you get to college at that point, the separation between the best players and the players that are considered quote unquote average physically is very minimal, right? They're all phenomenal players. They're all phenomenal players, but really what separates is that's the confidence. That's the mindset. And I think that if you start to ingrain that stuff in high school, then that's going to make that transition a lot easier. So, you know, I'd say at a young, young age, it's really about positive self-talk, but positive does not mean you're amazing. You're the best. I love you. It's about like helping them focus on like their effort, their attitude, their gratitude, right? Mm -hmm helping them focus on that and saying like, I will run harder. I will run faster. I will be, you know, I will cheer on my teammates, that kind of stuff. Right. And then as you get further on, I think being able to integrate, you know, other skills. And then I think in that high school age, that's an ideal time. A lot of times we do it, you know, college and beyond because high schools and, and a lot of colleges don't have access to this stuff. And so some of the pros that I've worked with, they say, man, why didn't I know this in high school? Why didn't anyone teach me? And they get frustrated. So I think if you start to integrate that and you really look for opportunities to do it sooner, it's going to make that transition and it's just going to make things a lot easier, a lot easier. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that answer. I think that's honestly very helpful for me to relay to some of my parents and, and um, girls as well. Um, 
But before we end, we always like to end. So I do this at my clinics. I do this at my camps. I do this in my own practice when I'm out on the field. I always like to end on a fun note, um, which is kind of funny. You pointed to your shirt. You wore it on purpose. I pointed to my shirt. I wore it on purpose. Last one, best one. Um, That's something we say all the time. We should be having fun with what we do. We should end on a good note so that no matter what kind of day or what kind of practice we had, we can go back and say, hey, that was successful. Hey, that was fun. I did something good today. Um, So we're going to end with a little quick finishes segment here. I'm just going to ask you a series of rapid fire questions, all random. We get to know Dr. T just a little bit better. All right. You ready? (laughs) Pizza or tacos? I'm from Baltimore. Crab cakes. But oh, pizza if I have to. I love it. <laughs> Favorite place that you've traveled to? South Africa. Ooh. One band or artist you'd want to see in concert right now? Motley Crue. And I'm waiting for them to open that, open the concert back up so we can go. But 100% Motley Crue. Did you have tickets beforehand? I did. And I've seen them before. And we were front row center. And absolutely, I'll see them again. I've seen them several times. One of the most inspirational athletes that you like to follow on social media or just through their journey? David Goggins. I would call him an athlete. Um, I think David Goggins is one of the most inspirational people that I follow. Absolutely. Mountains or beaches? Beaches, 100%. Me too. Uh, What's your go-to karaoke song? Don't Stop Believing" by Journey. (laughs) Great one. Great one. That'll get you through any long distance run too. Um, Favorite movie? Vision Quest, which probably some of your listeners don't know. It's an old, old wrestling movie, but um, Rocky Four would also be a very close second. That's a good one. Okay, last but not least, what is one thing that you hope to accomplish? One thing on your bucket list? Write a book. Ooh, that's on my bucket list too. I like that. Awesome. Let me know if you need any quotes because we'll, we could take them right, right from this episode. <laughs> 100%. I'm going to have you in there. Don't you worry. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. That concludes all of our questions for, um, for this episode. And I just wanted to say a massive thank you um, before I let you uh, kind of brag about where we can find you because we should all be following Dr. T. But thank you so much for being here. And um, we started this podcast as something on our app that we just, we called Wednesday wisdoms and we brought people on to hopefully shed some wisdom in our listeners lives. And I think every single second of this episode, um, you were shedding all of your wisdoms for all of us to listen to. And this is definitely by far one of my favorite episodes that we've recorded. So again, thank you for all that you do. Thank you for bridging that gap, um, in our space. And thanks for everything that you do for us in the lacrosse world specifically. Thanks for having me. I'm so, I'm really excited now. I'm pumped too. And, and I gotta, I gotta figure out to, I'm going to have to do some push-ups or sit-ups or air squats or something after this. Cause I'm pumped. I'm pumped. I know I, it happens to me every time. I don't know why I do these so late at night, <laughs> but where can our listeners find you before they wrap up? I appreciate that. So I'm on, um, I'm on social media on Instagram, doctor at doctor T underscore sports psych. So that's dr period T underscore S P O R T S. P-S-Y-C-H. Just started a TikTok because I got to stay relevant. So check me out on TikTok. Same, same, uh, same handle. Um, my podcast is the mindset experience. It's available on all podcast sites, um, Spotify, iTunes, um, Google Play, Apple, Stitcher. Um, so definitely encourage people to check that out. Um, you know, I've had some phenomenal, phenomenal guests and have Kylie Oldmiller on there as well. So you can kind of hear me pick her brain a little bit, but really an opportunity to highlight 
how people have been successful. And then I educate and teach on there as well and kind of help them understand how connections are made and help the listeners do that as well. So those are probably the three main places to check me out. Um, my company, if you will, is Mindset Training Institute. So you can Google Mindset Training Institute and that'll tell you more about me and what I do and kind of the programs that I offer. And um, always happy to work with anybody and love the sport of lacrosse um, and really, really have a high, high, uh, just a lot of, just a lot of respect for the, for the sport and the people that, that compete in it and train in it. So thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you so much for being here. Go follow Dr. T and uh, we'll see you next time on the next episode of Dream On.